Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for After Action Report number seven on episode 107 of Cocktails in the War Room on December 1st, 2020. Rob Dietrich, the master distiller of blackened American whiskey, joined us in the war room. Well, virtually anyway. Blackened American whiskey is Metallica's whiskey. You know, the whiskey that they blast with Metallica music to get it to taste the way that it does. I had so many questions. I wanted to talk about Metallica. I wanted him to teach me about whiskey, how to distill it, how to blend it. I wanted to know what's the proper way to consume it. But I also wanted to talk about his military career. He spent four years in the U.S. Army and served three deployments, including two in Somalia. Rob was awesome. They sent me a care package, so I got to taste along with batch 106, which was the newest batch that was blasted with the music from S&M 2, the second live Metallica concert, with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. So if you love music and you love whiskey, well, this interview is for you. Now, if you want to watch the video, Cocktails in the War Room is always live on Tuesday nights at 8.30, live on my Facebook page. After the fact, we post the video there and on my official YouTube channel, or we give you an after-action report. So here it is. This is my interview with Rob Dietrich from Cocktails in the War Room. Carrie, how are you? It's good to see you. We match. Yeah, we do. I know. We're Twinkies tonight. I appreciate the care package. You guys hooked me up with some swag. I love it. I'm going to yeah. send you some Mistress Carrie stuff back. Sweet. Thanks for uh, coming in the war room. I, I would think a lot of people think that you have the greatest job on the planet because you distill Metallica's whiskey. I would have to, I got to be honest, I really feel like I do have the best job on the planet. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I get to I get to make whiskey, I get to drink whiskey, and I get to talk whiskey, and I get to do it with Metallica. And for me, that's that's my dream job within my dream job. It's pretty it's pretty awesome. I love it. What did you discover first? Your love of Metallica or your love of whiskey? Def- definitely Metallica. <laughs> uh, yeah, Metallica first. Uh, that was seventh grade. Um, my buddy Paul Creel. Um, you know, we were, we were always listening to a bunch of weird stuff. He's like, you got to hear these guys. And I think it was uh, master of puppets was my first song. And I, my, I was just blown away. They have uh, that effect on people that there's like life before Metallica and like life after. And it's once it got into your blood, it's like, okay, this is going to take me someplace I never been before. I, I would agree. You know, it's, uh, I, I grew up with, uh, my parents have a lot of this vinyl back here is my parents. I've got a lot of my, I, I've, kind of melded our, our collections together and we grew up without TV. So I was always listening to records, always listening to music. My dad introduced me to, to everything, you know, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. Uh, but he was also into like Harry Chapin and all these like bards, you know, Gordon Lightfoot. So he was all over the board. Um, and then I remember when I first heard Metallica, I was thinking that was the first time I thought, this is my music. This is like, you know, I was always listening to dad's music, loved his music, but this is my music. That's how I like the 80s heavy metal is what got me from like my parents love of the Beatles in Chicago and three dog night and the association and all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden it was like, hold on a second. And I dove headfirst into 
Queensryche and Iron Maiden. And then yeah. I got, you know, I was a teenage girl in the 80s. So it was like the Bon Jovi, Cinderella, Skid Row, Rat, Dawkins. Like I was in. Same. And then when I heard Metallica, at first I was like, holy shit, what is that? And, you know, after spending 29 years at WAF, it's like, it's in the soul. Yeah, I mean, they are the godfathers of metal. I really kind of feel like, or at least thrash metal. Yeah. How do you end up a, a master distiller of whiskey? I mean, is there, can you go to college for that? How do you learn this skill set to, to end up doing what it is that you do? You can definitely, you can definitely go to school for it. Um, one of the most notable places is in Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, and that is uh, Harriet Watt. Uh, you can definitely get trained there. Um, I did not train there. I, uh, I just like I do everything. I scrap from the ground floor and uh, work my way up and I just absorb as much as I can and learn as much as I can. Um, I, I started in Denver in 2006 with uh, Stranahan's Colorado whiskey uh, as their night distiller. I actually started on the bottling line and, uh, and it was, it was uh, kind of a wild story how I met the, the head distiller, but we, uh, we were the first whiskey in Colorado and I, I was with them for about 13 years uh, before uh, before jumping on um, happily jumping on board with Metallica to make uh, to create uh, to make black and whiskey. I hinted to it a little bit in the intro uh, somewhere between you discovering Master of Puppets and you distilling Metallica's whiskey. uh, You're also an army veteran as well. Yeah. Yep. I served uh, just under four years with uh, the 10th Mountain Division. Um, did a couple of deployments in Somalia in the early nineties, um, and, uh, in a tour in Haiti in 94. And then, then I was out in 95, happily, uh, happily served. There are a lot of, uh, active duty military and obviously veterans who have a very close and intimate relationship with whiskey. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and so I, I'm going to, I'm going to apologize to you and everyone else. If I ask you any questions that make anybody roll your eyes. But when I get an expert in the field, I always want to make sure that I'm hearing things from the expert. And I think when it comes to things like whiskey and scotch and bourbon, for somebody that doesn't know a lot, it can be incredibly intimidating. And you can almost be afraid to ask the questions. I have bright purple hair, so I don't care if I look like an idiot. So I'm going to ask the dumb questions. So the first thing is, can you explain to me, because you bring up Scotland and Ireland, can you explain to me the difference between scotch, bourbon, whiskey, all of the brown liquors that people might think are the same thing? Yes. Well, so first of all, no apologies necessary whatsoever, <laughs> because this is this is what I love to do. I, you know, I, I, I had to learn how to drink whiskey. I had to learn how to understand whiskey. Um, I really feel passionate about allowing people to really embrace their palate and understand their palate. Um, and without, you know, um, because it is intimidating, you know, people are afraid to, to, when they're nosing a whiskey, they're afraid to, you know, explain what they, what they think they're smelling because they think they're going to be wrong or they're going to look stupid. There's no wrong answer. You know, it's what, you know, whatever your palate is, that's what you're drinking. So kind of in the history of whiskey, um, scotch is, is whiskey that's made in Scotland. Um, that's generally, you're going to, you're going to have your highlands, your lowlands. Um, and that's some, you know, some of those whiskeys are heavily peated. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're using the dried, you know, peat, dried bog basically, uh, to smoke the grain. And that's, that's part of the, the malting process. Um, or they're using water that has, you know, has been running through bog fields and peat. So you're going to get a heavily peated scotch. 
or you're going to have uh, scotch that isn't peated. So there's, a, there's, I mean, there's so many different types of scotch. Uh, blended is, is really one of the best um, things that Scotland could do is, you know, take a whiskey from this distillery and a whiskey from that distillery and blend them together and create their own unique whiskey from those. And, and so that's why you have master blenders and, and they're well, you know, highly regarded and, and revered in, in Scotland. Um, in, in the United States, blending kind of had a bad connotation early on because of early um, practices, I guess, you know, they were, they were, you know, during prohibition, they're cutting it with whatever they could and people were getting hurt. But now, you know, one of the things we've been doing with blackened whiskey is, is really kind of reowning the, the blended um, category and really embracing blending as uh, as an art and and really um, and refining that to uh, to create you know a spectacular whiskey. So you know in the U.S. generally we're going to have bourbon. Bourbon uh, it's a misnomer that uh, bourbon has to be made in bourbon, bourbon County. You can make bourbon anywhere in the United States. Uh, it just has to have a the criteria of uh, 51% corn, and then it could be 49% malted barley or rye or more corn, but it has to have at least 51% corn and be aged in brand new white American oak barrels. Uh, then you've got rye whiskey, which is a really kind of um, earthy, kind of earthy kind of flavor uh, to it. Um, spicy. I, I really like rye. I, I tend to lean towards rye. Um, and in bourbon, you know, you're going to have that kind of sweetness of corn. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's everything in between, you know, you know, American single malt, you know, that's what I was, that's what I cut my teeth on. Um, at Stranahan's, it was um, making a 100% malt barley whiskey. So, um, uh, and single malt is when you call that. That comes from one distillery, so it's not like a blend from other other uh, other distilleries. Which you know, again, we we've been able to embrace with our whiskey is uh, blending from other distilleries and other whiskeys. So there's there's a there's quite a few. You've got you know, obviously Canadian whiskey. You've got Japanese. You've got Indian. Uh, there's there's so many different categories. I think there's over 42 different categories that the, uh, the federal, uh, taxation, uh, bureau recognizes. Um, so there's a lot of whiskey out there to really kind of explore. When you talk about blends, you're obviously relying on your final product coming from sources in multiple distilleries. And those products are determined on the ingredients. You talk about the water in Scotland or Ireland. I mean, you know, everybody talks about how the water can make things different. So when you're making a blend and you want it to be consistent, there's so many factors that go into trying to have a consistent product. There are so many variables. Um, you know, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, when you, when you hear about wine and they're, they're saying, Oh, 2016 was, a particularly good year because the crops, you know, the grapes were, were nice and full and lush and, um, and there was plenty of rain. Well, the same thing goes for, for, for whiskey, you know, you know, you might have a great year where the, where the crops and the, and the kernels of the, of the grain are larger and, and it, you know, just all the, all, all the circumstances were better or where that barrel was stored in a barrel house. If it was, you know, if it was high up and it was a lot of heat, um, and evaporation, you know, you can, you can lose a lot more angel share. It's going to change the flavor profile of the whiskey. So when you're blending five different types of whiskey, which is what we do, you know, we're taking whiskeys that already stand, um, significantly on their own. They're already, they're already whiskey that, that are, are you know, great whiskeys, but we're taking them and, and blending them together to create a phenomenal whiskey. But it, it really takes attention to detail and, and a, and a certain aspect of artistry to, 
to really kind of pay attention and, and, um, and, you know, not mess it up. I mean, that's pretty much, you know, like you really have to take a look at the, um, the, what I, what I use as a control. So the last, you know, the last whiskey. So for example, um, if you've got batch 107, I would take batch 106 and taste 106, um, against the blend that I'm, that I'm making to ensure that the quality and consistency are the same. Well, you sent me, this is, this is the care pack. I didn't even want to open it until I was here with you. Nice. Which the artwork is amazing. Um, that's obviously what the bottle looks like. But I love the logos. I love the artwork. Um, can you tell me, I've heard the term so many times. Can you explain what the angel share is? Sure. Um, and real quick about that box, the artwork. Um, that artwork is by Squindo, who does a lot of work, uh, a lot of artwork for Metallica. You can um, tell. He's, yeah, he's part of the Metallica family. And he... Uh, that's his, uh, he took scary guy and created him into a, a conductor, uh, for the, you know, the San Francisco. Cause that's what we did with that batch was, uh, you know, we did our sonic enhancement with that, uh, with that playlist. Um, but the angel share is, is all about evaporation. Uh, you know, where I, where I learned how to, to, to distill and age whiskey and, and, uh, and make, um, you know, different cast finishes and creations. It's a very dry climate here. Um, so the evaporation uh, happens a lot more quickly in a dry, a drier desert climate. And what will happen inside of a barrel is the water will actually evaporate before the the alcohol will. So you're going to lose volume, uh, but you're going to but proof will actually go up in the barrel. So generally, we'll put uh, we'll put we'll lay whiskey down at 110 proof. That's you know the whiskeys we're dealing with were laid down at 110 proof. Uh, when I say laid down, it was spirit in the barrel, um, and then, you know, pound the bung in and it, it generally goes in at 110 proof. But over time, if you're pulling it out at, you know, five or six or seven years later, it could be up to 114, 115 proof, uh, depending on where it was in the barrel house. Again, you know, if it's, if it's at the top of the, uh, the top of the building, um, and the top of the stack, so to speak, uh, you're, you're going to get a lot more evaporation. Uh, so you're gonna get a lot, a lot more angel share on that. So a lot more, a uh, lot more loss. Do you use the barrels more than once? Because I know that uh, there's a lot of other alcohols that will want to use those barrels and vice versa. So people will reuse wine barrels to make a different kind of liquor or do you guys just use them one time or what do you do with them? Correct. Yeah. So, uh, in, you know, in order to be a straight whiskey, which we're, we're, um, we're in that category, the, uh, you, you can only use the, uh, the white American oak barrels one time. Uh, and that from that point, we have uh, we have barrel brokers that we sell those to. Uh, people like to do cask finishes with uh, other people's barrels. Um, that's one thing that I um, was really fond of uh, when I was working in Denver was, you know, cask finishing with different wine barrels or rum barrels or, um, you know, any anything I can really get my hands on. Uh, and it was a lot of fun because that's exactly what Dave Pickerel, the original master distiller for Blackened, uh, came up with, you know, with, with this idea when he collaborated with Metallica to make the whiskey, um, was to do a black brandy, uh, cask finish. And so that's where you're going to get a lot of the, the, the sweetness of the bourbon from the whiskey. You're going to get that, that, um, kind of earthy, spicy elements of, of the rye, uh, because we are a high rye whiskey as well. But what I love about it is you kind of get this soft, um, kind of dark fruit, um, tones from the, from the brandy that really kind of tie it all together. And kind of create the, the backbone of flavor for it. When you and I connected before the show started, 
Um, I wanted to make sure because we call the show Cocktails in the War Room. So we have been known right. to, to drink every now and again. Um, so I want to talk etiquette with you because there's obviously when it comes to wines and liquors and tequilas, there are those people that believe that there is a very specific way that the distiller and that that they made it for you to consume. And there's a very specific way. And then there are the people that are like, well, however I enjoy it is supposed, that's how I like it. And I'm the one buying it. So I'm going to drink it however it is that I like it. Like I enjoy really good tequila, but I also like to make really good high-end margaritas, which with a tequila aficionado, you, it's like I kicked a puppy. It's like, you can't make a margarita out of really good tequila but right. I like a really good margarita with really good tequila. So what's allowed? I think again, you know, it you had a very good point. It's your it's you're buying you're buying it. You're paying for it. As a as a distiller or as a blender, we're certainly going to have our preferences of how we like to approach it. And and I, I always like to help guide people on how to taste a whiskey. Um, before you, you know, throw Coca-Cola or, you know, whatever you're going to throw into it. Um, <clears throat> cause I, I really feel like, you know, that's where I came from. I, you know, I started out, um, drinking, you know, Jack and Coke. And then I think over time I realized I don't actually like this. I, I, I just ordered it because that's, you know, it's, it's just it's such you know, a hard rock, like metal drink too. It's exactly. Like, and I think that's why I was doing it. And, yeah. and it wasn't, that I didn't like it. I just realized that there's, there was a, there was a whole, whole other world, you know, you can, a buddy of mine uh, turned me on to Maker's Mark and, you know, I tried drinking it neat and he, he explained me that he walked me through the process and it suddenly was just like, like the door open, like what, you know, like uh, the Wizard of Oz when they went from black and white to color, you know, it's just like, there's a whole world out here of uh, incredible whiskeys. And, um, and, and so, you know, again, it's your palate, you're going to you drink it the way you want to, but I encourage people to step outside of their comfort zone too. And, you know, uh, for example, I've got, um, you know, if, you know, generally people have a rocks glass, this is actually a dirty glass. But, <laughs> Perfect. Metallica uh, yeah. would have it no other way. Dirty right. rock and a, roll, uh, baby. Exactly. A nice, a nice, what you want is a nice dirty glass to start out <laughs> with your whiskey drinking experience. Um, but this is a Glen Cairn glass. So this is perfect for nosing. Um, I've got these for nosing and actually tasting whiskey and I won't, I won't add, uh, ice or anything at that point, because I'm really trying to identify the flavors of the whiskey. Um, so using, using something like this, um, really helps, um, uh, to identify what that whiskey is. Once you got that and you, and your favorite drinks in old fashioned, well, you know, start mixing it up, you know, throw, throw what you want in there. Um, but generally, you know, I'll, I'll walk people through like a three-part tasting where, uh, if your nose in the whiskey, you want to breathe in through your nose and your mouth, keep your lips slightly open slightly parted. So you're breathing in, you're not getting that flare of heat in your nose. Um, and once you've really kind of wrapped your mind around the old factory, uh, because the old factory, you know, is ties back to our memories. You know, you think of, uh, this smell reminds me of, a you know, of, of grandma's kitchen, um, or grandpa's garage, you know, like cigar ash and, and grass clippings, you know, it's, it's amazing like a, how tied to memory smell and taste are. I mean, I grew up in my grandfather's bakery. And so it's like oh, there's yeah. there's certain smells and certain tastes that I I am instantly transported oh. back to my childhood or, you know, you smell something even, you know, just walking by something. And I'm like, oh, my God, it, it, a very specific memory. So it takes um, you right to that. that yes. Place. Yeah. I, I, uh, my my grandma had uh, 
she had these rose petal soap in the in the bathroom that you weren't allowed to touch. You weren't allowed to wash your hands with them. Everybody's grandmother had those rose soaps. What is that? Popular with that? thing. Yeah. So when I smell roses, it always takes me back to like those rose soaps I wasn't you know supposed to touch. Uh, but again, that olfactory, you know, just sparks that memory. When you talk about your nose and you talk about really experiencing the whiskey, I know with wine, when you uncork it, you're supposed to aerate it and you're supposed to let it rest. And and there's a way of doing it that's supposed to open up the wine. And is whiskey the same thing? Um, not really. I mean, it's, it's a higher proof. So it, it's, it does, it does help to, to have it sitting in the glass for a minute. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll kind of swirl it around and it will naturally kind of aerate it, I guess, in its own way, but it's, it's not really necessary. Um, I do enjoy, um, I could sit there for 10 to 15 minutes, just nosing a whiskey before I even sip it, just because there's so much information in there. Once you, once you kind of calm your kind of calm your mind, I think, and, and, and think about it um, or, or try and identify it. You know, one of the things I use, <coughs> and this is a, this is something that anybody could download off the, uh, off the internet, but um, let's try and get it without the glare there. Oh my God. But that looks is, very scientific and involved. It kind of, it, it, it does, but it honestly, it's a great tool to, uh, to help you out. This is called a flavor wheel. It's a tasting wheel. So you'll have different uh, in the middle are your, your categories uh, for example, you know, vegetal, uh, fruity, um, earthy, and then you have all these subcategories that can can fall underneath uh, each category, and that'll help you get uh, give you, you know, adjectives and descriptors of what it is that you're tasting. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm tasting something that's familiar, but I don't know what it is. Um, you can kind of look along, you know, follow your your tasting wheel and get a good idea for it. Uh, I actually made my own uh, flavor wheel because I spent. Uh, about 10 years in rock and roll, uh, working, uh, working as, you know, stage manager, stage hand, rigor, uh, you name it. I was managing events, managing, uh, you know, managing tours, that sort of thing. So I have a, a, a very distinct uh, uh, memory of what it feels, you know, rock and roll backstage, the smells of, you know, everything. Uh, so I, I decided to create a, a rock and roll. Let's see. Here we, uh, I don't know if you can see it. There oh, you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I, I hand drew a, a rock and roll whiskey flavor wheel based off of some of Metallica's records and some of their, their experiences. Um, but as well as using some, you know, some actual descriptors of what you might find in a whiskey. So, uh, it really does kind of help you, um, identify your own palate and, and trust your palate. Um, you know, and having, having the tools to do that. Um, you know, even if you don't download something, um, like, you know, like a flavor wheel, just sitting down with two different whiskeys, and nosing and then writing down what you're what you're what you're smelling no matter what it is whether it's gym socks or or you know or a, <laughs> which is exactly field. what it smells like backstage at a rock concert by the way without a doubt exactly i think uh one of the descriptors i put on here was uh uh lemmy's boot heel i was uh, hoping you were going to involve lemmy in this thing i was really hoping <laughs> that you found a way to include is that something that people can download off of the black and whiskey website we're, we're working on that. Okay, um, so I, I drew it up. It's actually, it's in our uh, batch 100 box set, um, which there are still some of those available out there. Uh, batch 100. Uh, and you know, I know we'll get into sonic enhancement, but uh, we, we, we do these playlists. Um, the band members take turns uh, creating a Metallica playlist that we use to sonic enhance uh, the whiskey um, using a, a proprietary method we call black noise. And uh, for batch 100, 
the uh, the guys in the band asked uh, asked me if I would select the um, the playlist for Batch 100, and they turned it into a two uh, two vinyl disc uh, box set. So you can actually get you know the two vinyl discs um, and the uh, and the, and the Batch 100 in it. Which, which for me that was like I was on cloud nine when I got to, <laughs> when I got that call because I was I was like you want to you want me to help you make a record um, deal I mean, no deal. problem yeah I'm I'm in. I, I went down the Metallica rabbit hole on that one. I was like just digging through, you know, all the live shows and anything I could find my hands on to, uh, to really um, put a, a cool playlist together. It was a lot of fun. One of the things that we have addressed multiple times here in the war room, um, and whenever we have guests that are sober, we call it mocktails in the war room, and we call it Temple yeah. Tuesday, and we encourage everybody to drink Shirley Temples to encourage their sobriety and to support them. So when you're talking about working hand in hand with the band members, with a band that obviously is so famously ridden this roller coaster when it comes to alcohol consumption, um, how do you do that and, and, and tread that line between obviously making this amazing whiskey and wanting the band involved in all of that and still at the same time respecting lifestyle and sobriety and it's it seems like a tightrope that you kind of have to walk there. It is, um, and it's also it's 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 definitely about responsibility, um, being responsible for uh, your actions and how and and how you approach um, the way you drink. Um, and one of the things that you know the band, you know, not every member in the band is sober. Not every member in the band, um, you know, some of them drink, some of them don't. Uh, but what they've always done is they've always made decisions as a band. When they make a decision, they make it together, and they they wanted to find a, another way to connect to their fans. And they also recognize that some of their fans don't drink, and some of them do. And so there is so it, it, it they they support responsible drinking and really um, understanding that uh, we are all here to to support each other. You know, if you're seeing someone falter, you you pick them up. Um, and uh, but they also wanted to they wanted to have another fun way to connect to the fans. So they. They decided as a as a band to um, to approach creating a whiskey. Actually, you know, going to Dave Pickerel, who was um, you know a legendary craft distiller in his time, and uh, and just really trusting on his knowledge and trusting that uh, what he knows. They, obviously, Metallica knows everything about the the how they make their music. Uh, so they wanted to find someone who could do that, and that was with Dave. And uh, and it's really important. Um, you know the, the messaging that uh, that they have come out with. You know, um, uh, you know they're they're doing public service announcements about drinking responsibly. Um, but also, you know, if you do drink, enjoy enjoy this. You know, enjoy the product that we uh, that we've created. I have two of the bottles. So I have batch eighty nine that a friend of mine brought back from the actual S and M two concert in California. And nice. then I have the one that you guys just sent me, which is batch 106. So I just got this one as well. So every time you guys make a batch, how many bottles are in a batch? Um, it's going to be, you know, anywhere between 5,000 and 10,000. You know, we've actually had a considerable growth this year. Um, we had planned on growing even larger. You know, we were going to tour. The band was going to go on tour. We were going to tour with the band. 
um, to promote the whiskey. Um, obviously, COVID really changed. I was going to say plans. all of the shows we were all going to be at before COVID were amazing. This was going to be such I, a fun year. I know, I know. I my la- the last show I went to was uh, the SM two in San Francisco. Um, their their last uh, the last show that they played. You and, must be and, and deathly was- afraid of getting COVID because one of the side effects is losing your sense of taste and your sense of smell. And for what you do, that's that's got to be the scariest thing that could happen. Without a doubt. I mean, that's, uh, that's, I'm, I'm, uh, out of but a job. Besides dying, obviously, I want to put that out there. So somebody isn't on Twitter being like, Oh, unless you die, you dummy. Like, yes, take right. that off the table. But the <laughs> side effects for someone like you, that this is your job to well, not I, be able to taste anything or smell anything. Well, first and foremost, um, you know, thankful, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. You don't want to, you don't want, to, you know, someone to die from it and you don't want to die from it, but losing uh, your, your sense of smell um, and taste that would, that would scare the hell out of me for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's a, uh, you know, you're like, okay, is this coming back? I had a friend who had, who had COVID and he's like, yeah, I can't taste or smell anything. And then he's like, it's, it, it, it comes back. And I was like, okay, well, that's good. You know, as long as still, it comes still back, being, still being careful. As, as in a, as a girl that grew up in her grandfather's Italian bakery. I mean, it's like, the senses, I mean, that's the, the pleasure of life, you know? It's Without like, a doubt. Yeah, you don't want to lose that. So when it comes to the different batches, you kind of alluded to it a little bit. Um, I am fascinated by the notion that when you guys make a batch, I do it with a podcast that every time an episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast comes out, I propagate a playlist that goes along with it, hoping to turn people on to music that gets brought up in the podcast or whatever. You guys propagate a playlist because you're actually exposing the whiskey to the sound waves of the music. I this is way too sciency for me. Is this real and does this, it work? <laughs> that that is a great question because that was my first question when I first got approached um, by someone representing the uh, the brand uh, about being their master distiller. I was like, okay. I got to know because I'm a whiskey nerd first and foremost. I got to know everything <laughs> about the process. But and and I've you know I've heard I've heard people you know playing music to to whiskey before and wineries playing mu- you know music to the to the wine and you know I, and I've seen studies prior to all this you know about um, uh, uh, you know microscopic images of water when you're uh, when you're shouting and cursing at it and it changes it looks distorted and then you know when you're playing really nice soft music. It, it's, it changes the, the actual pattern. Um, so to me, I, I knew that there was probably a semblance of science behind it, but I wanted to know exactly what, and, um, and after I, um, uh, after I took over, I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole of, of, you know, digging through, we, um, Dave had done some, some tests with the, the sonic enhancement. So the way we apply this is we play Metallica playlists at a very low frequency. Um, we we partnered up with Meyer Sound, which is the sound company that creates uh, the, the wall of sound for Metallica for for all their tour uh, all their tour equipment, and they have a lot of their stuff is proprietary. You know, their equipment is proprietary, made by Meyer, and so we we kind of got all the experts in the room. You know, you know, Metallica wanted to create a whiskey that could stand on its own. Um, you know, Dave Dave wanted to create a whiskey that that could incorporate elements of the band, and and he had this idea to um, to, you know, he'd gotten the idea actually from when he was a, a cadet at, uh, um, West Point. 
and uh, he had, he had, he had uh, talked to uh, the caretaker for the the pipe organ there. It's supposedly one of the, the largest pipe organs in North America, and the guy showed him this note um, that, he, and he told me, he said, I, I can I I'm afraid to play this note for very long because the whole building vibrates so aggressively that I'm afraid it's going to bring the whole cathedral down on top of us. Um, and that stuck in Dave's head. He's like, wow, sound. How can we in- incorporate sound into the whiskey making process? And, and at where, at what point do we do that? And so, uh, they came up with the idea They uh, he's doing the cask finish with the black brandy. Um, they had a, a control barrel that they did not apply the black noise sonic enhancement process to, and a barrel that we did apply the black noise sonic enhancement process to took samples from both of those, sent them off to the lab. And when they came back, we were looking for nine different markers in there. You, there's nine different flavor profile markers that you're, you're pulling from the wood, like the vanillins of the wood, uh, the oak, uh, the oak lagnans, um, um, in there, there, um, there are, of, of nine different markers. So every single one of those markers from the sonic enhanced barrel were completely elevated over the control barrel that had not had the sonic enhancement to it, which proved that it worked. And, and what it was doing was basically taking whiskey, taking the spirit and it's, it's called acoustic, uh, acoustic cavitation. So it's, it's moving it rapidly in and out of the wood at a, at a very rapid pace and picking up flavors beyond what we call the red line, which is, where the uh, where the whiskey naturally has has already interacted with the wood. Now we're going past that point, picking up all these other crazy flavors and bringing it back into the wood, which uh, gives it a little more depth of color, gives it uh, gives uh, gives it a lot more oak profile. Um, a lot more of the flavors you're going to pull from the wood show up because of the, the the black noise. So every batch, my job as a as a master blender is to ensure that the quality and consistency are always the same. Um, so I, I want to make sure that, you know, batch 106, when I create 107, that it tastes as close as possible to 106. What changes is each playlist curated by an individual member of the band um, is is always going to be different. When you ever see a, a sound wave like you do on the front of the bottle, you know, you're seeing the peaks and the valleys. Um, those are the peaks and valleys. That's that's movement. That's actual, you know, we've all walked in front of a, a speaker or been uh, stupid we've all been at a Metallica concert and felt right, we've it. All, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're feeling that in your chest. You're feeling that vibration, that movement, that motion is exactly what we are harnessing uh, inside the barrel and, uh, and, and getting the whiskey to work just a little bit harder. I am by no means a chemist or a scientist in any way, shape or form. But when you're talking about exposing it to these low end frequencies and you're talking about the particles moving around, is it creating heat? from all of the, the particles moving around, is that what actually changes the way that it tastes? I mean, I, I know cavitation generally could, but acoustic cavitation is different. Um, it, it's not creating heat, because that would be a problem. We'd be, we'd be losing you know, evaporation um, and that sort of thing. Um, but it is, create, it is creating movement, but it's, uh, it, it is not, uh, it's not boiling. We're not boiling the whiskey or anything. Um, I. I can't believe this is the longest I've gone on cocktails in the war room without a drink. Normally at eight thirty, I already I, I started without you. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. So <laughs> should I try? Well, I've already tried the the batch eighty nine. So I suppose I should. Yeah, crack it open. There I, you love, go. I love that. Thing. I love the noise. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's one of my favorite sounds on the planet. And you told me it was acceptable if I put some ice in a in a good glass. 
Yeah, absolutely. I so, mean, if you're if, if you're tasting it for the first time, I, I generally would encourage without ice, but um, and then you and then you're sipping. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's no ice in the bottle. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that one's the uh, that was the batch that we we played uh, the playlist from the SNM two uh, live concert. Uh, Which is just last year. why I love the two bottles I have, because this one came from the concert and this one was distilled in the concert's music. So I love that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It did the, uh, the cast finish uh, Black Noise with it. Cheers. Cheers. Blink. So, yeah, I know. Right. The, the COVID makes everything awkward. It, it's it's always it's so, so weird not to be able to hug your friends when you do see them. And I haven't really seen a whole lot of people. You're like. I'm, you know, I'm a hugger. Like I'm. Yeah, gonna, me too. You know, and it it's drives me nuts. And I'm so used to, you know, 22 years on the air at AAF, doing interviews in person. You know, right. and you're talking about the tour that Metallica was supposed to go on. 2020 was supposed to be AAF's 50th anniversary. Every huge rock band was going out on the road this year. I, and when you're doing interviews in person, backstage at a show, on the bus, whatever, the location always affects just like the sound waves affect the taste of the whiskey, the location of the interview always affects how the interview goes because you can't control the environment. Right, right. And now it's so weird to do interviews where it's like you're so far away. <laughs> right. But yeah, I love the fact that we can see each other because it makes me feel a little more human to be able to look at the person I'm talking to. I agree. I mean, that makes all the difference. Um, it, there's nothing like obviously like being in person and like you said the environment you know you're, it, you're there's a feel that that creates the excitement for wherever you are um and we're uh, we're all finding ways to uh to connect um as as best we can with uh without being in person why is it that when i drink whiskey i'm instantly warm Whereas if I drank vodka or tequila, I don't like, I can already just from the sips I've taken, I'm warm. Why is that? I don't, I don't know what the difference would be between vodka. I think, I think we associate vodka with Russia and Russia is cold. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, it's the same way for me. I think there's always a, there's a certain viscosity to whiskey as well. That that's kind of mouthwarming. And, um, it, it, there's, there's definitely, it's the ingredients that we're using. It's, you know, I, I really feel that warmth is, is, well, you know, it's generally a little higher too. I mean, it's higher proof whiskeys, you know, this is, you know, it's going to be a little, little, little higher proof than, than a lot of, uh, a lot of whiskeys, a lot of liquors and things out there. And when it comes to alcohol, like I know when I drink tequila that I need to be supervised because the more tequila I drink, the more, a misdemeanor seems like not that big of a deal. And after a few of them, a felony seems like something that could be an attainable goal for me. What, what is it about alcohol that, that affects people on a chemical level differently? Because I know some people that are like, I can't drink anything brown. If I drink something brown, I get into trouble. And with me, it's tequila. I love it, but I sprout these horns. <laughs> I, you know, I think, um, I think a lot of people are smart, uh, and paying attention to the, you know, the differences. Like I, I don't do brown liquor and they obviously, um, had an incident or two that, um, <laughs> that kind of proved that for them. 
Um, I'm a huge Mezcal fan. I love, love, love smoky Mezcal. Um, I, I try to get to uh, Oaxaca at least like once a year and go down and visit uh, Mezcal country. So it's one of my, besides whiskey, it's probably my, it's probably my, my other favorite, but it, it is, it is different um, with, you know, with, with whiskey, you know, the color in whiskey is, is a hundred percent the, the wood particulate. It's actually, you can actually evaporate a dish of, of whiskey and what's left behind are, are minuscule amounts of, of wood particulate. So a lot of times that that will tend to affect certain people like the, 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 the wood um, seems to affect people. Whereas like agave as uh, just its own entirely different beast, you know, uh, and, and sometimes, like you said, a beast with horns. Um, so um, it really depends on the plant. You know, every plant has its own unique uh, character. And I think uh, has, it has its own effect within uh, when it, when it turns into alcohol. And I know that there's a lot of alcohols that pair fantastic with food. And everybody that knows me knows that I am a passionate eater. I just, I love to cook. I love food. So when you're talking about blackened whiskey in general, <coughs> if, if you're going to make a whole immersive experience and you're going to drink the whiskey and you're going to eat, what things are going to help to bring out the flavors of the whiskey that you could eat? Um, you know, I'm a foodie as well. I love to cook. Uh, and I like- You're in a good town, right? You're in Denver, right? Yeah. Denver is such a good place to go out to eat. It is now, man. It, it didn't, you know, early, early nineties, it was terrible. You couldn't find anything. It was kind of a, still kind of a cow town back then. Uh, Denver really came into itself in the last, I think, 10 to 15 years. Uh, but now there's so much good food here. So many great restaurants where there was, there were a lot of them are unfortunately, and right sadly now, yeah. away. We, were, we were, I saw a list the other day that someone had um, laid out all these, you know, great restaurants that we've all been going to for years that are closed permanently. Yeah. And yeah. it's just heartbreaking, but, you know, kind of coming back around, I, um, I always love taking elements of the whiskey, especially if you can cook with whiskey, that's even more fun. And then you drinking the whiskey and cooking with it. Um, but you know, I'm definitely, I lean towards, uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I was raised in uh, Southern Colorado, rural, rural Colorado. And I definitely, um, do love my, my steak and potatoes. That's I'm just, I, I, I had a turn. feeling that was what your answer was going to be. Yeah. It's easy. And and where I grew up is uh, corn country. So they, um, they're known for, uh, their Olathe sweet corn or they're known for their corn. Um, and to me, that's just like, you can, you can balance all those things out, but there's so many other, um, ways. I, I, I bought this book last year and once I found it, I was, I was blown away by it. And it's, it's such a cool book. Um, it is, uh, it was, it was in the sixties, uh, a book written by Vincent Price and his wife. And it's a cookbook. It's a treasure of, uh, treasure of, um, a treasury of, of recipes from their travels of all over the world. So they took, uh, menus from their, all these restaurants that they love to go to. And, uh, they were able to recreate these, uh, recipes in their books. So you actually have a, an image of the, uh, the recipe or the image of the menu, and then here's all the recipes. And then, so I've been going down the, uh, you know, the path of trying to learn a lot of the recipes from that book. Because I didn't know Vincent Price was such a foodie. He was a huge foodie. Um, there, there's pictures in there of him and his wife in their kitchen. They have all these copper pots and pans and a, and a brick oven. And um, they love, love, love to cook and entertain. Uh, and uh, um, that's actually, I got my my friend, uh, my best friend, that book for, uh, for, 
Christmas last year, and he and he, st he stuck it on the counter next to The Joy of Cooking and Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> so he's got, he's always got. Uh, um, uh, it's I just I always love walking into his kitchen just seeing that. But uh, anyway, the, it's the food in there, and it was funny because a lot of the recipes in there, um, liver and onions was just a huge thing in the '60s for whatever reason. Yeah. That just seemed to be a dish that everybody served and um, obviously and thankfully that's gone away um but uh, it was i was always kind of blown away like how many places served liver and onions i'm so glad that you can't see the the scroll of comments that are flying if i'm not looking at you directly it's because i'm i'm trying to make it through the scroll so i want right. to go through some of the stuff that people have been talking about so first of all they want to congratulate you on having the most epic facial hair of any guest that anybody has had in the war awesome. room to date. Um, Thank you. Everybody Cheers. thinks you look like a young Kurt Russell. I'm sure you get that all the time because you really do. I, I, I get, uh, I've been getting a lot of snake Pliskin lately. That's what's in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, they said you look, one person said you are the most heavy metal looking guy between the records behind you, the black t-shirt, the eye patch, the glass of whiskey. It's like, you're a modern day freaking pirate, dude. You're, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's something I, I'm, I'm certainly going to embrace. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers to that. Um, <laughs> some questions about uh, the bottling. Somebody wanted to know how loud the music is that you're exposed. I think it was Brianna actually here in the war room that wanted to know, you said it's low frequency, but are the walls of the, of the bottling or the, the distillery shaking when you guys are doing this sound stuff to it? No, so we've got a we have a special room for the barrels. Um, so this happens while they're in the cask finished barrels. So they're in the black brandy barrels, um, and the frequency is so low that you you hear you hear it. It's just like when you hear um, and you've been to concerts you know before while they're they're testing out the sound equipment. And you hear the and the, the subs. Oh, it's oh, oh, oh. You're hearing all those those sounds. Yep. Um, it's it's more like a, that 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 low vibrating hum. Oh, okay. uh, so it's a very, very low frequency. Um, and right now we actually have the, uh, we're, we're applying for a patent on the process. It works, it works um, so well that we've applied for a patent on it. Uh, so we don't talk about the details of what frequency, but it is a, a very low frequency. So when you're, you're making this whiskey and you're exposing it to propagated playlists of Metallica, have you done a cross experiment where you like expose it to Taylor Swift to see if it ruins the whiskey or like oh, what God, would no. happen? No, <laughs> I, I would, I would hate to do that to whiskey. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, we, we use Metallica whiskey for, you know, obviously commercial reasons because, uh, or, you know, they, they, they own the rights to their music. So, right. you know, so we can actually post the playlist. And what's, what's cool about that is that we, uh, you can go on black and whiskey.com and, look up the batch that you have. You can look up batch 86 um, and see which band member curated the playlist. There'll be the songs in the, in the list and then a Spotify tab that you can take a photo of. And that will actually populate that, that playlist in your Spotify. So you can listen to the playlist that was used to uh, sonically enhance the whiskey you're actually sipping on, which is kind of a cool interactive experience with that. Um, so we haven't tried it. You know, it would be cool. I would love to see what the band comes up with, what their playlist, if we could use anybody's music, uh, if there was a way that we could actually right. use anyone's music, what they would come up with, you know, there's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be so much obscure stuff. There's going to be, you know, 
Thin Lizzy and 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 Lemmy, you know, just Motorhead. There's going to be stuff in there where you're just going to be like, oh, this is the best playlist ever, and this is a playlist. You know, it's like getting a mixtape from James Hetfield. You know? Yeah. So I, I hope that we can do that someday. Um, that would be really, really cool. I know that you did the playlist for episode one. I mean, for um, batch 100. Yeah. But with all of the other batches, do, do you have someone in the band that you think makes the best tasting playlists? You know, it's funny. There's a lot of people. I'll, I'll see they'll, they'll buy different batches and try them against each other. They'll try the, uh, you know, the, the, the Lars playlist um, against the, um, you know, Robert Trujillo. Uh, a lot of people, I think uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people who lean towards Robert Trujillo's playlist because he, he picks a, a low lot of end guy. Yeah. Yeah. He likes, he likes the bass forward. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I could see um, a lot of people, who, you know, they pick the, you know, they pick based on that, but um, I think it's really the songs that they pick, you know, it's not like, it's all going to be bass solos all the way through on, <laughs> on Robert's playlist, you know, but it is going to be um, the, their preference. So I, uh, I don't know. I think, I mean, it certainly has a difference each, you know, each, each one of those playlists, again, looking at those, those sound waves. Uh, and this is kind of a cool little thing. Speaking of the sound bites, um, yeah, you can see it there uh, kind of there. Um, so the sound wave yeah, I have is, <clears throat> yeah, perfect. Um, that sound wave is actually, that's actually James Hetfield singing the word blacken. That's a, that's a sound. No way. Really? Yeah, that's a, a real sound bite. I mean, this is what the audio files that I edit for the podcast look like. So yeah, that's very yeah. cool that, that the yeah, detail so into the bottle and the, the logo and everything was, was that specific, you know, and it was subtle too. Cause you don't, you don't see Metallica anywhere on there. You don't see, um, you know, the guy's you know, signatures or anything they weren't trying to make. Yeah. It's not the Metallica it a, font. It's not right. Yeah. They, um, they wanted a whiskey that was going to stand on its own because it is a phenomenal whiskey. It's created by, um, you know, someone who, who, who absolutely knew what they were doing and I'm evolving it in other directions. We've got other expressions that we're coming out with, um, that I'm excited to work on. And, uh, and it's really fun just to see that they really wanted this whiskey to stand on its own. That's why it's owned outright by Metallica. It's not, you know, they're not having a large company, large whiskey company, just make a, a Metallica line. This is their whiskey. They own it. And that's pretty extraordinary that, that you know, they, they really are passionate about everything that they do. They put a thousand percent into every album that they create, every, everything that they do, they do a thousand percent. And it was the same with this, you know? So it's cool that there's subtle nods in there. If you're a Metallica fan, you can see the word black and you're, and you're going to know what that is. But if you're just in a whiskey aficionado, um, it's, it's, uh, it's something for them to try. They're going to, they're going to find a whiskey that is uh, a blend of, you know, Tennessee whiskey and Kentucky bourbon an Indiana rye, uh, Canada rye, Canadian rye. Um, and all that is aged uh, average of eight years in white American Oak. So you're, you're getting a phenomenal whiskey already. <laughs> Excuse me. I know here in Massachusetts, you know, we can be a little slow when it comes to getting booze delivered and whatever. So when you launch a whiskey and you don't, you know, necessarily have a distillery where you can go and buy it and it's not, you can get this because everybody is asking, where can I get it? You can just order it on blackandwhiskey.com, right? And and get it shipped to you, right? You can, you can go to on, on blackandwhiskey.com. You can go to the store locator uh, button and that will, and then you put in your, you put in your zip code. It's going to tell you where there's a store near you that carries blackened. Um, and then we also, there are online e-commerce e retailers that you can buy it at. 
as well. Um, Cause it seems so like I, a, a really awesome gift for somebody that loves Metallica, but also loves whiskey, like for the holidays. A doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a win-win. It's the perfect, it's the perfect gift. Like, like I was saying, we, we still have some of the, uh, the batch 100 box sets out there, which are the vinyl record. Uh, there's a picture disc. Um, I, I was, I was pretty, pretty honored and humbled by uh, they selected a picture with myself and the band on the record. Uh, and they, uh, but the, the batch 100 bottle is in there. So you can actually get that online as well through, I think, Cast Cartel and um, Spirited Gifts. Um, and so there's some, some other uh, places out there where you can find it. But when you're looking for just a bottle, a regular bottle, um, it's, you, can, you can look on e-commerce and see if they'll ship to your state. Um, I know that they don't ship to New York, unfortunately, um, because of, uh, of New York liquor laws. But, um, but you can find a store where you can go and buy it. Yeah, the easiest way is just look on on blackandwhiskey.com and look at the store locator, and that will um, you know, put in again your your zip code. You'll be able to find a liquor store that carries it near you. This time of year, you know, obviously we have Thanksgiving <clears> on <throat> Thursday, and then there's Black Friday, and then there's Small Business Saturday, and then there's Cyber Monday, and today is Giving Tuesday, which is the day that encourages people around this time of year to support amazing nonprofits. And I know that it's a huge initiative for the band to focus on the All Within My Hands Foundation and the whiskey is partnering with that. So can you talk about that whole charitable initiative? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. What I, you know, it's one of the things I love about working with Metallica is that they really are a family. They, they, they approach everything like, you know, the, the Met, the Met fam, uh, really they, they approach it with heart and their charity, um, All Within My Hands, um, has been significant in helping, um, you know, people get back on their feet, uh, helping bring food to communities. Um, it, it's really pretty extraordinary how on a, on a personal level, you know, they go out and, and will uh, volunteer at food banks. Last Tuesday, I was uh, supposed to volunteer. Well, I did volunteer uh, with, with James um, in, here in Denver at a local rescue mission, uh, handing out turkeys to families in need. Uh, those, those things were, it's all really exciting what they, what they, um, what they do and black and whiskey, um, really wanted to give back. You know, we, we, um, we, for us, it's, it's just as important to support, uh, their charity and their charity efforts. So from now until the end of the year, we are, um, uh, we are donating $5 for every bottle sold to all within my hands, uh, to help their charity. When you go and do something like that with James, does he pick you up in one of his amazing cars? Um, I have ridden around in one of his, his <laughs> he's got a badass truck. Um, uh, and he's got some pretty cool cars. I'm a huge car nut um, and motorcycle nut myself. Uh, so that's really we hit it off that way when we first when I first uh, my last interview was actually with the band. Uh, so I met all the band at, at the same well independently, but um, that was the, the final interview. And we just sat there and talked about cars and and motorcycles, and you know we just we had a a pretty fun with that. He's got some really cool vehicles. I was at his. Um, uh, he donated 10 cars to the Peterson exhibit. Uh, I museum. saw that. I mean, these cars are mind blowing. It's like, I don't even think I should call them a car. They're they're, works of art. They're, yeah, exactly. It's like, they're not, it's almost an insult to just call them an automobile. Cause there's so much more than that. They, they, they really are. I, uh, I got to attend the, uh, uh, the ribbon cutting basically where he, he got to donate, and then talk about each car and each project and how um, how much heart and time and effort 
and collaboration, how many people he collaborated on with these things. And they're just gorgeous. I mean, they're amazing. Um, I, 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 I was just kind of blown away by the, the creator. I mean, some of these cars, he literally just drew them up on a piece of paper and they designed it from scratch. You know, a couple of these cars, they were just built from scratch. It's unreal. I mean, you see, they, they'll take an old car and just completely reshape it or they'll build something from scratch. And it's like, you look at it and it, it, it looks like something that's really old sometimes, but also something that is from so far in the future, you can't even imagine where in his imagination it came from. It's pretty cool. And I one of the, the coolest things that, that James did was um, he donated one of his cars to Blackened, Blackened Whiskey. So our, we, and it's, and you're going to love this. It's, it's called the war wagon. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting. To, yes. I was, I was, I, I, was God, I want to ride in the war wagon. <laughs> it is so much fun to drive. It is a, um, so it's a 19, it's a, a 1937 and 38, um, kind of a mishmash, but it's a cab over engine. So you're literally, it's got this, this kind of stubby nose, um, it looks like a, it kind of looks like a bulldog, you know, in a way it's just, you know, it's kind of, my grandfather used to have one of those, it was like a 62, like Ford van. And it was yeah. the same kind of thing. It almost, if you looked out the windshield, it looked like you were going to fall out of the van because there was nothing in front of you. Yeah. You're right there. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, first time I got to drive that thing was in Kentucky and I was like, you know, and I, I asked, uh, uh, James's mechanic, you know, all about it. I was like, okay, what kind of engines in this thing? Transmission, like, tell me all, you know, tell me all about this thing. And, uh, and it gets up and goes, I was on the highway, just hauling, <laughs> hauling ass with this thing. And, uh, and it is so much fun to drive, but it, what was weird is that there's not a whole lot of room in the cab. There's a, there's an engine housing and the steering columns right between your legs. And so the, the, the gas pedal, the brake was up here and the gas pedal was here. So you're pushing the gas and then you gotta, you gotta put your heel up. You have to really kind of be quick with it. And, uh, and anytime I was going to events or things, I would I'd be driving around and I would, I'd see somebody, um, uh, that was, that I'd seen at, at the event before. And I'd pull over like, Hey, get in, let's, let's go, go for a spin. So the last event I was at was in South Carolina with, uh, Kirk Hammett and Robert Trujillo. We were doing bottle signings at a liquor store and we had the, the war wagon there. And uh, later that night, uh, they were playing in uh, their their side band, the uh, the uh, the wedding band, yeah. uh, and they and they were having a uh, Kirk was having a Wawa pedal guitar a Wawa off with uh, uh, Mrs. Smith. Have you? Oh have you seen her? yes, hilarious. Yeah. Oh, she's she's awesome. She's so cool. Um, and they were doing their their Wawa pedal off, and they were playing later that night. But I saw a couple of guys that were had stuck around for a few days to go to this event and. Kirk's uh, um, horror film poster uh, museum collection. We were, we were there for that. And, uh, and so I was giving rides just, I'd see people, I'd give them rides for a few blocks and then spin them around and pick up a few more. And it was, uh, it was a blast. The thing is, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty badass looking. Before I let you go, when it comes to all of your military buddies, I know that when you get out of the military, if you're active duty, um, the reintegration back into civilian life or normal life coming out of the military, especially for someone like you that, um, you know, has been forward deployed and it, it can be that transition can be difficult in a lot of ways, especially um, multiple deployments. And, you know, as you're very well aware, since 9-11, I mean, there's there's people that have been deployed more times than they have fingers to count them on. And yeah. 
So when it comes to life after the military and keeping in touch with all of your war buddies, I'm sure that your phone rings when Metallica comes to town or when they want to come visit you. Can you can you talk about, because there's a lot of veterans and military guys and, and ladies that are here in the war room with us every week. Can you talk about the importance of keeping in touch with with those guys that you served with and and the importance on the transition back into normal life and doing it together? It, uh, it means everything. The, the connection with, with those, you know, they're brothers. I mean, it, it is a, it is a family. Um, it, it, it's like nothing else you'll have with anyone else. And, um, and the things that we went through specifically, you know, with, with my team, um, we, we, it's important that we have that connection because we can talk openly about it. Whereas you, you're not going to talk to anybody about it, um, about anything. Um, but you can with them and that, and it's important to uh, to keep those uh, relationships. You know, I got out in '95. Uh, the internet really wasn't a, a thing, and so it's a lot uh, harder to keep in touch. Yeah, so we all had our addresses in a little address book. Well, we all ended up. You know, one buddy went up to Kodiak Island in Alaska to be a hunting and fishing guide, and I hunt with him every year, um, and, or um, will be hunting starting this year of year, um, and the. Uh, importance of, of connecting and finding these guys. It took us forever to kind of find, you know, when I left, I, uh, I built a, a half size 67 Chevy school bus into a house um, on, on, on post at, um, uh, at the barracks uh, in Fort drum, uh, New York. I was with the 10th mountain division up there. Uh, literally ran an extension cord out from my barracks room window every weekend and transformed this thing into a really um uh, really cool house. And I, I lived out of that for almost two years after I got out of the army because I, I knew I needed to reintegrate in my own fashion. And, you know, so I ended up uh, on the Oregon coast working as a carpenter, learning how to surf. And um, uh, I didn't have a phone. I had a pay phone. I'd call, you know, I try and keep in touch with everybody. We all kind of got lost throughout the years. And then uh, once we really tried to track each, started to track each other down we, we held on to that fiercely and, uh, and it really made, uh, it makes a huge difference. You know, veterans day where, where that's who I'm on. That's, you know, that's who I'm talking to first thing in the morning, um, are, 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 the, are my, my brothers, you know, and it's, it's important to, and, you know, and I, I really want to show my, my, my regard and appreciation for our veterans and our soldiers who are, who are currently serving and who have served, um, the sacrifices that they have given, um, because it, it's everyone has a different way of, of dealing with uh, whatever whatever they went through, and uh, and there's a there's a you know there's a brothers in arms pride of being connected to uh, to 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 that network of um, of support and family, and and don't be afraid to reach out to uh, to that network and and uh, and embrace it. Well, I cannot thank you enough for being so generous with your time and hanging out with us in the war room. I know that. Um, you know, the comments have been going crazy and you've answered a lot of the questions that, you know, people have been asking and I've been trying to ask questions that have been popping up and, you know, you can obviously tell that you love what you do. I don't know how you couldn't love what you do, but you can obviously tell that you love it. And when you talk to somebody that genuinely loves what they do, um, you know, it's obvious and, yeah. and it doesn't feel like work when you love what you do. 
No, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, I, I get, I'm amazed sometimes that this is my job. I really like, <laughs> I'm pretty blown away. And I, and I, and I think about to the, you know, all the long nights, um, you know, distilling my 1am to 9am shift uh, at, you know, in the early days of distilling and um, you know, just like anything, I think we, we work our way to a place where um, it does become uh, an adventure and fun and, uh, and we get to uh, really kind of embrace it and enjoy it. Uh, so I'm, I'm fortunate. And honestly, I, it's been so fun talking with you. I could do this every Tuesday. Listen, um, so you're more than welcome to come into the war room anytime you want, Rob. We're here every <laughs> Tuesday just hanging out. I mean, we've got quite the family together here and we love having musicians in here and we've had uh, veterans here and, um, you know, just we just love having people in and, and obviously... Um, the interviews in the war room turn out to be after action reports. I steal a lot of my terminology from the military. Yeah, I love it. And uh, so the after action reports go up on the podcast so that if people weren't able to join us here in the war room live, you can watch the episodes on YouTube or you can um, download the podcast and listen to the interviews. So I know that there's going to be a lot of very passionate whiskey drinkers that are going to be sampling some blackened American whiskey this holiday season and uh, comparing and contrasting, I think, to the playlist, which I think is amazing. And that, and that is fun. I mean, that's uh, for one, you're, you're, you're listening to Metallica music. Um, I, I have fine tuned this, uh, this hot rod back here to be able to, uh, to really crank up Metallica when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm listening to it, but to be able to listen to the playlist um, while you're drinking the whiskey um, at that, that, that playlist actually sonically enhanced is like, there's just something you're just wrapping your mind around it is is it's it's too much fun yeah it's very cool well please come back anytime when you guys I got will. new stuff happening or whatever you are always welcome we uh you know everybody is just thanking you so much for coming in and hanging out with us tonight so you're welcome back anytime and thank you for your service and no, thank uh, you. That's very please kind. tell all your brothers in arms as well that we appreciate their service as well i know veterans day has already passed but uh, we're appreciative here every day. So thank you. I definitely will. Um, and I just want to tell you uh, when we do actually, when things open back up and we are touring again, and we're on the road, uh, you know, we bring the the war wagon to every, you know, every city that we're in for, for whatever event we, uh, we're in. So next time I'm, I'm in Boston, I will uh, definitely take you for a long spin. I in would the, love the that. Wagon. And uh, we'll, uh, Hopefully get to uh, actually talk in person then. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, maybe someday you'll be able to have a cocktail with me for real in the war room, which is, you know, this is where the bar is. And it's my collection of military memorabilia from the generations of my family that have served and all of the guys I met overseas when I was embedded with them and all of the things they've left behind. There's a lot of really cool. I mean, you can see some of the posters and stuff in here. Yeah. Um, cool old military memorabilia in here. So you're always welcome. I would love to see it. It would be very cool. Well, have a great rest of your night, Rob. Thank you so much. Carrie, thank you. Thank you for the hospitality. Absolutely. And uh, happy holidays, obviously. Happy New Year. Here's to hoping 2021 is a fuck of a lot better than 2020. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't have put it better. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. You got it. Good night. Have a great holiday. Thanks. You too. Mm. All right. Thank you so much for checking out this After Action Report. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. 
Weekly episodes come out every Wednesday. Every Monday through Friday, you get the sit rep, which is all of your rock news, music headlines, and entertainment info in less than five minutes. And then, of course, you get the after action reports. Once again, a huge thank you to Rob Dietrich from Blackened American Whiskey for being so generous with his time. All of the links you need to find him, the whiskey, and everything to do with Mistress Carrie are in the show notes of this podcast. I also want to put a plug in for Cameo. If you'd like me to make a custom Cameo video for you, especially with the holidays coming up, just search for Mistress Carrie in the Cameo app and I will be happy to make a custom video for whatever occasion you have. And I also want to say hello to everyone that has a Mistress Carrie backstage pass. If you go to patreon.com slash mistresscarrie, you can get a backstage pass and very soon you'll get discounted merchandise in the official online store at mistresscarrie.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.